All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Um, thanks for coming to Curious Monkey. My name is Colin Andrews. I host uh, Somebody Call a Doctor. It started, um, I was at parties and I would just find myself talking to PhDs in the corner and I realized I wanted to enjoy the party. So I <laughs> would instead reschedule with them to, to go and do an interview later. So it stopped over quarantine um, because of quarantine. You know nowhere to meet PhDs. And then the other day, Linda and I were in Curious Monkey um, and just started talking about her, her PhD and said we need to re-kick re off the podcast. So thank you, Linda, for, for joining today. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for, for joining. Um, so we'll just kick right off, I guess. We, we have Linda and Eduardo today. Uh, we'll do Linda's first. It'll be about a 25, 30-minute interview, maybe. And we'll open it up to audience questions, too. Um, and probably try and capture some of your dreams. Um, it's very informal, too. And also, if you have like a very burning question that you know needs to be asked in the middle of a sentence, come and literally knock me out of the way. It's OK. And you can, you can take the microphone. Um, that's totally okay. Um, yeah, we'll go, we'll go right, right into it then. So welcome, Linda. Linda Kuntz is a PhD student at Catolica Lisboa, uh, turning in your thesis at the end of the month. Uh, one draft was done today. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow you still have the energy to, to talk with us. So Linda has been obsessed with dreams your whole life. Uh, you originally studied cinema and started interviewing people about their dreams when you got your first camera. Yes. Yeah, so you want to tell us a little bit about your project and your, your thesis? Yes, so I, I think I really had vivid dreams when I was a child, and I really liked my dreams. And then I started to ask my friends dreams, and they seemed even cooler. <laughs> and, um, and when I studied cinema, I remember that I thought, like, it can be a good idea to document the dreams, what my friends tell me, because sometimes they are so complex, and they are so, like, creatively complex in a way that... I remember I had a friend who worked in a call center, and then he told me that in his dream, he was inside a tree and he was giving birth to spiders. And it had like a really complete story with an ending. And I thought like, this is like a kind of Fellini movie or like, this is an unconscious creation and we don't think of dreams like art pieces because everyone does it. But then I thought like, I wanna document these because these stories are so amazing and so inspiring. And for me, they are art pieces. So then I, then I recorded my classmates. And then I started to record my classmates' friends and then their friends. <laughs> and then the idea really grew out of scale. And instead of having like, I don't know, 20 dreams, I had in the end like 1,700. <laughs> and uh, so I recorded in London and Budapest, where I'm originally from. And then I arrived to Lisbon to, <clears throat> to do a project with with dreams and then I just couldn't stop recording here. Okay, great. So you talk about dreams as this very abstract thing. Uh, when we experience them in our head, own heads, I'm sure we all have our own flavor of dreams and what we, we ex think about when we think about dreams. What's lost in that translation process when somebody's describing what they experienced in a dream state? Uh, I think because you create it really into a story, kind of the, the continuity is, is lost because it's, it's like flashing images. And what I find interesting that when I ask people like, please describe me your dream, I'm going to turn on the camera. They tell me and then I turn off the camera. And then so often they're like, wait, I just remembered how it was connected or I just remembered the end. So somehow the, the, the narrative, the storiness, I think is the, it's very hard to give back and very hard to remember. So it's kind of discombobulated, like very separate pieces that all come together. Yeah. But I also believe that actually like reciting it more and more 
really gives it a story. And deep down, sometimes you can question this, like, was it really like that? Or you created it into a story when you describe it. But somehow deep down, I don't think it really matters because it's your creation. So it's you were unconsciously creating it or when you dreamt it or when you are describing it. Mm. Yeah, for, for me, a lot of my dreams are like right before I fall asleep. So some, literally some of the questions for this podcast or whatever it was, I have to wake up. I'm like, come on, I you'd have to go reach over my phone or notebook or something. <laughs> um, what, what's the, where do you kind of draw the line between what a dream is? Do you have to be fully unconscious or do you count daydreams and some of these other things? So I try to, to be strict in a way of, because, because even it's hard when I ask people a dream, sometimes they think it's like, a, like it happened that, that I asked people their dream and they told me that what's the job they want to have. Because this is the dream, so this doesn't go. <laughs> but uh, and I also, but then then there was this problem with like hallucinations and psychedelic experiences because they they are so dreamlike that I cannot really like exclude them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I still don't fully know where I draw the line. But in in this project specifically, did you did you ask for sleeping dreams? Yeah. So in my PhD specifically, it's really dreams what you dreamt at night when you were sleeping. But, but generally, when I collect dreams, not necessarily for academic reasons, it's, it's harder to <laughs> draw the line. Okay, interesting. Um, what about lucid dreaming? So it's, it seems to be very connected to your general awareness, just like when, when we're speaking or here in meditation, that, that sort of awareness, um, where you're able to manipulate or un understand fully that you are dreaming and therefore take action or change what, what's actually occurring. Um, what what is lucid dreaming to you? It's a very interesting question because for a while I was kind of I was not really into lucid dreaming because I had this preconception that you are forcing something consciously in your dream, so it's not really a, an unconscious creation, and you can force I don't know like even these kind of things of what kind of, like people told me things of brands like they had a shoe they wanted this shoe so they dreamt with the shoe, and then I was like this is a little bit. It's not really what I'm aiming for, but then, but then I think if you, if you are in a very complex situation in your dream and you don't want it to stop and you have the skills to lucid dream and continue and go even deeper, and I don't know, like I, I read a lot about lucid dreaming for kind of solving trauma and face dark fears in your dreams, and I think that's really interesting. I personally could never manage to take any control, but I didn't really try. Hmm. It's interesting that you say skills to lucid dream. <laughs> because, so when I was in high school, I got obsessed with lucid dreaming. And I would uh, wake up and open my computer and, and like type out what my dream was. Is what I was reading some website that was telling all about what you need to do. And they also recommended using totems, so like an inception where you have the spinning top or a ring or something that you always look down and just check, okay, that ring's on my hand. Um, and now being into more like the mindfulness meditation side of things, it really just looks like being um, mindful and aware. Sorry, my sister's calling me. <laughs> <laughs> She's a PhD too. Um, it really just looks like when you are trying to lucid dream that you're just looking at what's happening and being aware that this is happening in the dream. And so you, for me, I could change things occasionally if it happened, but only maybe happened five or six times over the course of a year that this was occurring. And now that, now that I'm not writing down my dreams, I don't remember my dreams anymore. 
And I always say, oh, maybe I'll do that again, but I never, mm -hmm. I never do. And what can you exactly change? Like, can you change the main direction of the story or more like smaller things? The ones that stick out, um, there's one like I was sitting on a mountain and it was literally just, I went into kind of a meditative thing where, but because I was doing something where you hold your breath and try and breathe and that was the totem. Um, and in the dream, my mouth was closed, my nose was closed, but I was still able to take in air. And that's when I recognized, okay, I'm lucid. And then it was, nothing was changed. It's, everything got very peaceful. Then um, other times I remember you could, not like making people appear or anything like that, but you just kind of start knowing what's going to happen. Um, for, yeah, that was my experience. The mm -hmm. few times it's happened. Amazing. <laughs> what about, um, so I have a friend who, who she believes she's psychic. <laughs> um, <laughs> A couple, two, I think it was two nights in a row. So one, one night she dreamed about a black and a white wolf and it was a very intense dream and had uh, these wolves in her uh, cabin. And so she woke up and was like, that is a very intense dream about having a, a black and a white wolf in my cabin. I don't know what it was. I'm still trying to kind of try to process it. And we were doing a yoga teacher training at that point. So the yoga teacher was telling us later all these different stories and ended up talking about a story of a man with a black and a white wolf in his cabin <laughs> literally the exact same thing and she just, she just what the heck <laughs> um what do you th and the next night she also dreamed about a friend who got engaged and was left at the altar and the next that same day when she woke up her friend called her and said my boyfriend i think my boyfriend's going to propose <laughs> <laughs> and so she decided okay i think i have to tell you about this dream and those two two days right after each other you know so what do you think about that being consequence versus prophecy versus, yeah. Okay, now it sounds that I don't know much about it because this is not really my specialty, but I'm, ex like, I'm really interested in prophetic dreams because like for the, um, the collection of Dreampire, I remember I recorded a few dreams when something people described something what later happened in the future. And then after a while, I couldn't ignore the existence of this phenomenon. So I remember there was a girl and she told me that they owned a blockbuster store, like a VHS store. And then she dreamt that it burned down and next day it did burn down. And then there was another lady and she told me that once she, and I really remember these, you know, so well and out of 2000 because they really like stick with me. Like there is this one of two lady was walking on, no, one was driving a car and she seen two ladies crossing the street smoking cigarettes with blue uh, smoke coming out of the cigarette. And she said after a few years, she, it happened with her, that she stopped in her car and then two people paused and there was a blue smoke of their cigarettes. So I find it very interesting that even like, I remember once I counted like how many people, how many dreams they had the future of the collection and it's like a very small number, I don't know, like 2% or something. But it's there, even in a, such a small sample. So for me, it's really a proof that it's, it exists. And it never happened with me. <laughs> yeah, I guess the argument against that is that there's, with the number of dreams and things that you eventually recognize and say, yeah, there's a chance that something like that might happen. I guess that's the counter argument. Yeah, and another argument also is that, is, are people telling the truth? But I kind of... Because it, sometimes people ask me this, like, what if people come up with these stories because they want to create a cool story? But then, I don't know, I decided that I grant the, the fact I believe in people and I believe that it's a story, what happened. And then again, if they made it up, it's their creation in a way. So 
so I don't question the truth because I think then you go into this loop that doesn't it's not really helpful. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's a difference too if somebody tells about that dream and, and recognize it af recognizes that it occurred after and told somebody, oh, I dreamed this and then it happened. Maybe they're filling a gap in their memory, whatever. Um, versus telling somebody about a dream, writing it down, and then that thing occurs. Yeah, then that's a real proof. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what happened with my friend who's psychic, <laughs> where and she, the one with she the told us about the wolves, and then literally an hour later, <laughs> that's the, crazy. Yeah, and the teacher wasn't around to hear it. So that's, yeah, yeah. that's the type of thing that is a little bit, there's some magic there, probably. <laughs> yeah, and also in culturally, I mean, there are there are many stories of, you know, like in incubation or like in ancient Greek, they use dreams in a kind of prophetic sense. Like they believe that, you know, like where you go to hunt has to depend on what you dream or what will grow in the next season. Maybe in your dreams, you're going to have messages about it. And in the past, it was kind of given. Like now we talk about it kind of like suspiciously. But I think in the past, it was something like a common belief. Yeah, I feel like if if you have that belief now, you almost want to hide it so you're not you're not ostracized. Exactly. <laughs> um, you want to have some sort of protection that you're you're a rational person. Yeah, but um, I think generally this happened with dreams in a way. Like in the past, it was very clear, you know, that what people use dreams for different reasons, and now I think it's not really clear. Like, yeah, you can psychoanalyze them or you can use them as inspiration, but. So in, in machine learning, we have uh, experience replay. So if you teach a robot how to navigate a maze, for example, you put them through the actual physical maze, and then you have a, a set of experiences as, as data points that you can go through. If you mix and match those experiences and you um, give them these like fake experiences based on the past experiences and train them on that data point as well, and, and um, on those fake data points as well, then they actually perform better than if they had only seen the real maze like to be able to generalize their experience. But the fake maze is different. The fake maze is totally made up using elements of the historical mazes that they've been through. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe like taking one segment of one maze, adding another segment of another maze, and just generating these fake experiences that they can go through and dream. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so in that sense, the utility of the dream mm -hmm. is to give them useful experiences that they can be, be better at their job, right? Their, mm -hmm, their, their mm -hmm. utility, which is to solve mazes. Do you think there's analogies to what the utility of dreams is, are for us? Yes, because actually there are many theories and we don't fully know, like there are hypotheses, but we don't fully know why we do dream. So what's the, what's the real purpose scientifically? But one way of looking at it is the evolutionary psychology, what says that we are rehearsing. So if in your dream you have a battle or you are in a maze or you are hunting, then you are actually practicing, so when it will happen in real life, you are already more skilled. So you will perform better in the real life because you have the feeling that you experienced it. So I think it's actually super similar to what you just described. What, what about, uh, we've talked a little bit earlier about this, categories of dreams where my type of dream, like I, I dream in large-scale battles almost, um, and different people must, must have different kind of flavors or, or textures of dreams. Yeah, I found it... Um, like for me, maybe it's one of the most interesting part of uh, uh, collecting dreams. And this is why I, I don't think I can ever really stop this. Because it's really very visible for me that people have their very own style. And I can kind of see this if I record more than maybe 10 dreams with the same person. Some patterns emerge. 
but really it, it, it's not necessarily like a thematic pattern. It can be just a way or a style or a, like, I had a friend and she shared her dream diary with me. So she read me her dreams, what were written down since many years. And then I kind of started to feel that there is always something under her skin. <laughs> but the dreams were really different from one another, but there was always something. So then, and um, for example, I always have this thing that I invent weird little gadgets <laughs> in my dream. And then you have this grandiose thing. And I don't fully know how it can be connected to the personality, and, but, but it's definitely something what is really, like it's really you, your core, is in that way how you create those stories. Yeah, so I, I hope I can record more dreams from the same, <laughs> same person. That's interesting. So it's kind of your, your pattern of processing things is how to, like maybe yours is to create a little gadget that represents it and mine is to like fight it out with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very aggressive person. But, um, generally it's reading dreams. So I, I like to think of Professor, Professor Trelawney and Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> like tea leaves and, and the prophecies about Harry, or um, if you go and, and tell somebody you dream and say, oh, this is what it means, when your teeth fall out, when you have something under your skin, um, or more analytical ways of saying maybe keywords or uh, something you might feed into, um, I don't know, an, an AI bot that's, that's built for the purpose of analyzing sentiment or something like that. What do you think about analyzing dreams as a whole set? Yeah, so for me, this kind of... Uh I find it very old-fashioned that there are these, that one thing means the same for everyone. Because like the old dream books say, yeah, when your teeth falls out, it's frustration. And when, but then I, I don't know, I always feel like a snake also, I think snake is jealousy, um, I think. And then I, I, I was thinking like, I never seen a snake in my life really. Maybe I've seen big lizards, but never a real snake. And maybe, I don't know, some of you are from somewhere where snakes are just there around you. So I'm sure that we, in our subconscious, we don't have the same meaning attached to a snake because we have a very different personal relation to a snake. <clears throat> so I don't really believe in the one symbol stands for everything. What I do believe is that people have their own personal mythology. So I think when I record many dreams from the same person, I believe that when you dream recurrently with the, something on your skin, or what was the example before, that I think that this is kind of, um, it means the same within your dreams. So you have, you have, you, you apply meanings and you keep those meanings. But I don't think that, that we are the same in this. So just like symbols, a, a general symbol, a, a religious symbol, a brand, whatever it is, um, it has some collective consciousness or collective <laughs> signal, a symbol, um, but it also has something that's very unique to us based on our experiences. Yeah, because culturally, of course, we apply the same meaning to a cross or a bird of a phoenix, or a, but, but still there is this other layer, what is our personal relation to it? And I think because dreams are really uh, merging the the unconscious of the self and the collective unconscious so they are equally present so kind of bringing it back into our day-to-day -day. so in day-to-day -day, when you think about um sports like high these types of things where, where you can visualize or sensationalize yourself doing something and you can actually get better at it than if you just tried it over and over if you if you sit back and kind of meditate on it and try to see 
Um, do you think that sort of experience when we close our eyes and, or even open our eyes and can see something in front of us even though it's not there, um, is that the same mechanism or is that something different? You mean the same kind of rehearsing like in a dream? Yeah, is there, is there something mm -hmm. different when you take away the consciousness from it? Mm -hmm. The awareness of the consciousness? Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting because, for example, I know this lady who is doing her research on... So she's recreating dream landscapes in VR environments because she believes like if you have like a recurring dream with some kind of monster, then if you give a really detailed description that is like a programmer who is probably also an artist <laughs> and kind of recreates it. So then they make um, a VR experience what you can put on the glasses and then you can encounter again with that monster and maybe then because you are awake and you are more prepared, you can maybe fight it. But then actually the question is what, what you are conscious. So then is it as strong the experience? Can you really rewrite a trauma, a trauma consciously? I don't know. I mean, I, I would assume almost all traumas are something experienced consciously. That's a, very true. I, 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 but then they are unconsciously, unconsciously. Like, like circulated and grown yeah. into crazy scale. But maybe. Interesting. <laughs> um, any most interesting dreams or favorite ones you like to tell people about that you've seen in your 1,700 <laughs> recorded dreams, which is crazy? Um, it's really hard <laughs> to pick a favorite. Uh, I don't know, one comes to my mind now, what I, I like, kind of. There was this guy, and he told me that he woke up next to his wife in his dream. And he, so he looked at his wife, and then he didn't know if she's like a geometric shape. And he was thinking like, wait, is she a triangle? Is she a square? Is she a... Wait, maybe she's not a geometric shape. Maybe she's a measure. Is she kilogram? Is she gram? Is she? And he tried to kind of identify her, and she, and he applied these different kind of systems on her, and it was so like so out of everything, you know. It was so abstract. It didn't really have a story. And then after I recorded the dream, and this is also the the really amazing part of the recording that, of course, you talk to the person and together you try to find an answer. And then he told me that not much after this dream they divorced. And of course it would be a too easy and I'm not a psychoanalyst and I'm, I'm analyzing dreams from a cultural perspective so I shouldn't act like Freud. But, but it was very interesting for me that he, he, he was struggling to make meaning out of her in this last period of their marriage. <laughs> wow, that's intense. Um, <laughs> Great, thank you. Is there kind of an aside? Anything else that you we had talked about talking about that you want to talk about? <laughs> um, maybe people can ask them whatever yeah. if you like. Yeah, let's open up to audience questions. And uh, if you also if you have a dream to share as well, that would be really fun. So maybe questions first, and then we'll open it up to dreams to close it out. Um, and we have one or two more questions for you that are on theme. Any questions? Thank you. Um, if we can go back to um, the matter of building your own mythology or canon, if you will, um, do you think when we struggle to give meaning to our dream or when we feel this kind of anguish or, uh, I don't know, those dreams that are borderline nightmares, but it's just a feeling maybe you, you just want to pee, but <laughs> you know, um, I, I do have this dream where uh, it's actually similar to the um, geometric 
forms or whatever that it feels like a nightmare, but I can't quite come up with if it's like a, a cube that is getting close and getting far. I don't know. Do you think when we struggle to do that, it's actually for the lack of language to process the dream? Uh, like, how do you... Um, but you mean that it's hard for you to articulate this dream? And it's a recurrent dream. Exactly. So going back to the mythology, like if you don't have the language necessary for it, do, how do you explain those dreams that are not necessarily put into a story or into characters? Mm -hmm. and if you have an opinion mm -hmm. about that. Actually, I encountered this a lot because I, like sometimes I feel or I felt that this is a way of people kind of... Uh, rejecting my request <laughs> for asking for a dream, like, oh no, it's, un it's undescribable, you know? I can't describe, it was feelings and colors and shapes. But then, then, then I really believe that it's really hard to describe. Because when you are describing, you already have the pressure that it has to be a story. And, and another thing is that I once recorded dreams of blind people. It was like an institute in Budapest and um, and they didn't. They 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 had other senses more active. So they were like, I remember, they told me something like, yeah, in my dream, someone came and touched my shoulder, and then I felt warmth. And so it was so interesting also that they were somehow more equipped to describe a dream of the sense of the senses, not a story, because for them, this was kind of the natural way. So it was interesting that they they articulated it really well these kind of abstract uh, things, what we can struggle, yeah. Uh, just because uh, I thought of the visuality thing, now that you mentioned this, did you record any dreams like that were focused on sound? I don't remember you uh, mentioning that. I have a very few, like actually I have, not, not many. There is one dream I recorded when somebody was telling me like, ah, I dreamt with a melody and she singed it to me because I think she just dreamt it like a few nights before so she really remembered. And it was very nice because she was like, ah, my dream was like, dee -dee -dee -dee. <laughs> but very, very few. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was wondering if um, you also studied uh, the dreams of the people that maybe have uh, any substance abuse, because I know that um, the way we think uh, also changes. Uh, when we have this kind of uh, issues, and I've I've noticed that, for example, um, with certain substance abuse, you completely lose your dreams. Uh, I was wondering if maybe you have any uh, experience uh, um, that was shared to you on this, because I think it's super interesting how it how it works uh, with the dreams. Yes, actually, I also thought that it was a kind of excuse when people told me, you know, like, ah, I don't remember. <laughs> because I thought, like, everyone has to remember. Because supposedly we dream, everyone dreams, like, three to five dream a night. And the question is, like, you remember or not? But supposedly we always dream. And then I read that people who smoke a lot of marijuana, I mean, not a lot, but, like, continuously, or wake up for an alarm clock. These are the reasons why you don't really remember on a daily basis. The the marijuana, I don't fully know the exact reasons, like how the chemistry or the height height kind of mutes the memory. The alarm clock was something like it it grabs you out so quickly from this state of dreaming that that you don't really have time to digest 
so you don't memorize. But but it's very interesting. I think how also other substances influence dreams. I would like to know more about it. I just bought um, <laughs> a special drug. Uh, it's a <laughs> it's a, it's called a dream dream herb or dream liquid. A friend of mine gave me this as a as a surprise because I think she found it in India when she was there on a yoga retreat, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and now I'm drinking it like before sleeping because supposedly it like uh, makes your dreams more vivid. What's happened so far? Okay, it's a little bit embarrassing, <laughs> but because when she gave it to me, like two years or three years ago, I remember I tried, maybe I overdosed because it was not clear how many drops I should take, and I had a really, really weird dream. And the dream was like, okay, so I was in the dream, I was watching TV, and, and in the TV there was a, a girl, and I remember that she was a bit chubby but pretty. And in my mind I was like, mm, I like her. And I was kind of attracted to her. And in real life I'm not attracted to girls so far. And, uh, and also this TV, she, everyone was speaking German. And I don't speak German. And I remember when I woke up I really had this very strong feeling that it was a German man's dream. <laughs> And I had this feeling, really, that, that it was almost like, you know, when you tune into the wrong radio channel, that I tuned into something else. <laughs> I just felt that this was not my dream. But it was very interesting, a little bit creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Linda. Hello, Luca. So my question is very specific. Uh, knowing your interests, how do you see movies and pop culture in general affecting the way people dream? What have you learned throughout your studies? Thank you so much for bringing me back to the real scope of this conversation. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so actually, Luca is one of the examples that people uh, dream with movies they watch after they, they watch it. So many people dream with Harry Potter, just like Luca. <laughs> and... Um, so because of my PhD research, I started to focus specifically on this. So I asked people this, this extra question of, can you tell me a dream, what happened after you watched the film, and something appeared from the film in your dream? And, uh, and, and many people uh, actually dreamt with films. And so far now I have like 50 dreams, what is actually about a film, what you watched. And then the character comes back, or a scene, and... Um, and what is interesting is that mostly it's like really, really big Hollywood mainstream like franchise films like Harry Potter, Indiana Jones, uh, and Spider-Man are the most recurrent in this group. And uh, actually in, in my thesis, I'm kind of creating these strategies, like how people build in the film into the dream. So there is one way is that you transfer it with their original meaning. So Indiana Jones is a hero, he's adventurous, he helps you. Then there is a, another way when you transfer it and you change the meaning. When Indiana Jones is lazy and he's scared. And, <laughs> and, um, and sometimes uh, people change the context. So the, the meaning stays, but the context is different. Sometimes they mix like many, many films in one dream in very interesting ways. This mixing, sometimes I remember a girl told me that she dreamt with marriage story. She was... She watched the film, and then in her dream, she was uh, Scarlett Johansson was her sister. She was talking with Adam Driver sitting on a bed, and she was wearing a Jurassic Park T-shirt in the meanwhile. 
So there is all this, it's interesting, these condensations. And another uh, specific thing, what happens actually often in these dreams, I, in these 50 dreams with films, is that people place a kind of um, digital placeholder thing. So, so there is a TV or a DVD player or a USB stick or, or a CD. So somehow it's almost like the unconscious is reassuring like, yes, this is a dream. Uh, sorry, yes, this is a film. So this is more like my, my research. <laughs> That's cool. It, it kind of brings back the symbols of the snake and things like that that are symbols in, our, in culture. And I guess Indiana Jones and Spider-Man would become symbols in, in culture as well um, to be used as a tool, I guess. Hello. Um, I have kind of a broad question, but also specific. So you mentioned you do it for cultural purposes. Do you notice any specific dreaming patterns depending on different demographics? For example, age, gender, uh, sexuality, even different countries. Because I feel like, as we said, with traumas and the unconscious speaking to the conscious mind, I'm just wondering, have you seen particular themes that are really reoccurring? Um, I'd just be really interested to know. Yes, Thank actually I, I do. And... Uh, I feel maybe I don't have enough dreams or, or I don't dare to build a scientific statement on it yet. But, um, but so because I basically recorded in these three countries, Hungary, England, and Portugal, I kind of found that the, there are these specific things like Portuguese dreams have a lot of waves and water. Hungarian dreams have a lot of devil, like people meet the devil, talk to the devil, and a lot of dialogues as well, like like... You know, like they remember that the sentence is exactly. And um, the British dreams had a lot of technical devices, like phones, computers. Uh. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's, I think it's, it's super interesting. And another thing about, I was thinking, uh, you also said gender, right? So I don't really, I cannot really say specifically the difference, but um, I have way more women in the collection than men, because women more often tell me that, yes, I remember, I can share a dream with you. And guys tell me more often, like, ah, oh, no, I, I don't remember. And I don't know if it's, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> generalize, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But then, did you notice any specific age categories? Yeah, age, to be honest, I think my pool is too limited for this, because I always, like, usually my, I'm asking people in, like, public spaces, you know, like, I go to, I, in the past, I went to parks or gallery openings or festivals. So it's always pe people between like 20 and 40, let's say. So I don't really have enough dreams from young people or old people. Yeah, but it could be good to <laughs> widen the, yeah. I have a quick question. You have so many dreams, and some are video, some are audio, right? Most are video. Most are video yeah. as well? How do you process all of that? Very slowly. <laughs> and is it you yeah, turning? So we are like a team. So uh, we started it with two friends, and mainly I'm recording dreams, and they help with building the website, and they also occasionally went to record some dreams. And then three of us started to kind of label the dreams, but then as I recorded so much in other countries, so I went on manually labeling them, and I'm still behind. Because I think it's, it's important that you can search. Because the idea, I remember when we built the website, we had this grandiose idea, you know, that it can be like a social network. So if you dream with a blue giraffe and a little girl in Chile also dreams with a blue giraffe, you can get connected. And this is a way 
more precious and deeper connection than other social networks, you know, like, I don't know, on Tinder, people react on how people look, and it's more like a superficial thing. But then, so then, because of this reason, we give keywords. So every dream has five, six keywords, so you can search for it, and you can see which dreams are similar. Or if you have a dream, you can see who dreamt similar to you. But, but, but the website doesn't really function as a social network because nobody really knows about it. So now it's just like a big collection of dreams. Tell us a little bit about the website and what people can, how they find it, what do they do there? So it's called dreampire.com. And uh, so the idea was that people can also just wake up and record their dreams. But then I think people are a bit shy because I think you should, because I feel like if I talk to someone and we already know each other a bit and because it's an intimate story, I think, to share. So nobody, it exists now since six years, the website, and nobody uploaded a dream. There is a button, actually, a record button. <laughs> so, so I recorded manually the, the dreams instead. But so we had this big hope in the past that this can really be this big unconscious uh, network of dreams. And then it didn't really happen. And then I, then I went on with based my research on it. And I really don't know what's going to be the future of it. Like also in this space in our gallery, we, we did exhibitions when some uh, dreams were chosen and people painted the dreams. So they, they listened the story and it was like serving like inspiration. So then we projected the dream here and put the paintings on the wall and you could kind of see how the same story inspired different artworks. So to be honest, I have no idea which direction this collection will go, but, but I think there are so many ways, like academic research, um, inspiration for art, uh, and maybe one day a social network, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, so I have a question about symbols appearing in dreams. So uh, I'm wondering if there is any research about uh, Jung's archetypes actually showing up in dreams, because I guess that's where they should show up and if it's uh, cross-cultural. Uh, I don't know if this has been done. The other question is, um, uh, so usually when you think about uh, research in dreams, you, th you think about Jung and Freud, and I mean, they died uh, 100 years ago. Uh, so I wonder what are the new names or what are the new ideas in the past, I don't know, 10, 20 years, like uh, someone who made a big contribution kind of to the dream research. Thank you. So. To be honest, I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed with Freud. <laughs> and I don't think he's as old-fashioned as, as he sounds, because, because I think it's a very important thing to know about him that... So, when, so we always compare films to dreams, actually, from the beginning of cinema. There is this term, the oneiric theory, what, what kind of... Um, talks about how similar, the, the, how, how we, see, we perceive, perceive films and dreams similarly. And, and the, they are both, like the story kind of gets created in our mind, even in a film, although there are the informations projected for you. Uh, and, um, and actually Freud wrote his interpretation of dream, what is his main work around the same time when cinema was born and, and it was kind of rising. And so, in the beginning, it was not really clear how we will analyze films. So film theorists actually applied the theories of Freud's dream interpretation to films. And then this area was born, the psychoanalytical film theory, but is actually still the main field of how film critics analyze films. So if you kind of read a film review, 
the, the main approach is a kind of Freudian approach to dreams. And, uh, and I think it, it really works well. <laughs> and I think it's a very good, like, and even now that I'm, I'm analyzing these dreams, what are full of things of films and a lot of, like, I would say postmodern ways of creating stories, the, these kind of elements, what, what Freud um, came up with, really work so well on the dreams that I, that I don't think that it's very, like, uh, like old-fashioned. <laughs> and, and I don't think, interestingly, there are really, like, new names. Because there, I think this is kind of a, an area where, where um, I mean, anthropologists deal with dreams, and, and psychologists dream, deal with dreams. But none of these areas really came up with any kind of modern approach. The, because I think in a modern way, we kind of create art or create, I don't know, virtual reality experiences with dreams. So the modern way of thinking of dreams is to interdisciplinary induce them into other fields. But, but I don't think that there are many extremely modern theories applied onto dreams. Was going to open up to audience or audience dreams um, <laughs> next, and I was trying to think: Are there any other forms of storytelling where, when I think about what I expect from if anybody will share a dream, it's not going to be a cohesive story necessarily. It's going to be almost like it's kind of almost childlike speaking to somebody who isn't necessarily on the same level of I'm looking for something concrete and rational and logical. So I don't know if there's any other forms of art where, or or passing of knowledge where something like that is accepted other than talking to a child <laughs> I mean actually because I'm I'm dealing so much with films in my research now I just understood that you know there is this kind of main dis distinction between mainstream films and art films right like mainstream films are have a linear story there are no gaps uh, there is like a, co a complete storyline there is an ending there is a beginning and, and art films, they don't have to kind of fulfill these criteria, right? Like, they can be free associative, there can be jumps and gaps and maybe open-ending. And actually, dreams fulfill all this. So in a way, I think things that are very avant-garde or very artistic or very experimental in every kind of given artistic discipline are similar to dreams in that sense. Very cool. <laughs> Thanks, Linda. Um, any, I would love if at least a few people wanted to share a dream or two. Anybody have a, a recent dream? Yeah, so my favorite dream is the dreams in which I make some discoveries. And like, wow, this, uh, I, I never thought about this, right? So it's the first time that I think about this. Uh, and actually, yeah, there are also, there are many cases, I think, history where people actually discover something in their dreams. Like I think you told me about Mendeleev, about the, the periodic table of elements and the and creek of the DNA helix, for instance. So my favorite dream is when I actually discover something. And um, I think maybe last uh, May or something, I was dreaming, and in my dream, I was hit by a lightning, and this lightning woke me up. And as I woke up, I had this idea that uh, uh, basically if we live in a multiverse, which means that uh, at every moment the reality is split uh, into various branches uh, at a quantum level kind of, and if we live in a multiverse, um, Basic dreams is a way to connect uh, realities uh, coherently, which means if I die in a parallel, in one of the many parallel versions of, of the multiverse, and I wake up uh, in this reality in which my consciousness uh, is uh, still uh, alive, then I have like a coherent connection between a part of the multiverse in which I'm dead and a part in which I'm alive. 
and consciousness kind of gets a transfer to the alive part through dreams in a coherent way. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> Makes sense? It is amazing. <laughs> yeah, and actually there are many uh, like philosophical or other kind of fields. When uh, There is this amazing book called The Committee of Sleep when people um, report their dreams. Like, for example, Paul McCartney says that he dreamt with the melody of yesterday. And uh, the guy who invented the violin bow, he describes how in his dream the, the devil came and offered him a stick and then somehow that became the violin bow. And Mendeleev, the periodic table, also the Google search engine. There is this endless uh, spaceship for NASA. There are these endless stories uh, of people actually. I mean, in all these stories, it was kind of uh, that they were working on an idea, like... Uh, continuously for a long amount of time, but they were stuck, so they didn't really figure it out. And then, in a dream, they had this missing element, so, yeah. Anybody else like to share a dream? <laughs> <laughs> or seeing a dream? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, share, I'll share a weird one, a uh, really weird one. I, this was a rec recurring dream when I was eight to 10, maybe, like for, for years, and I was always terrified of it, never talked to anybody about it. Um, it was me and like my friends and my family running around in a circle. And then every night the dream would end when somebody got shot and just died there. And I would wake up and it would never be me, but I was terrified of it. And always just one always, of you? Always just one of us would be shot. Like I, I think, I mean, it's, it's been a long time since I thought about this. And who shot? Uh, un, unknown, like, I, I, don't, I don't think there was anybody specific. It's such a specific kind of torture. Yeah, and it was always it was always like running around in a circle with other people, kind of like a, a daisy chain. I don't know. Just thought of it. You know, it reminds me of another very, very cruel dream I recorded once. It was very cool and cruel because it was a, a boy told me that he dreamt, it was a recurrent dream, that his parents... So I don't remember fully, but I think that they own, they had like a vinyl player and, you know, it has a needle... And somehow, I don't know if the needle was giant or the people were small, but he said that his parents always um, stick the needle through one of his friends and always a different friend. <laughs> so cruel. It's, it's, it's interesting how, <laughs> how quickly I want to go to like analysis and say, yeah, what does this mean? Exactly, me too. And I'm like, you I have no idea who it is. Yeah, you know? yeah. I was like, how were his parents? Were he strict? He was afraid that they're gonna judge his friends. <laughs> yeah, and only the person, only the dreamer can answer you this. So, yeah. Hmm. Sorry, it's probably very depressing. But was it like the same person that died a lot, or was there like a hierarchy of who was dying first? Do you remember? I honestly, I honestly don't because I, I, this this is probably the first time I've thought about this and. 18 years or whatever, however old I am now. Um, yeah, I honestly don't remember. I remember it just being, yeah, somebody would get shot and I'd wake up. But it was probably, it was def different people and different people in the circle and everything too. But familiar people in the circle. But I think it proves that we should always write down our dreams or record them because it's so important. To, now it would be so good to exactly know the details of your dream. Yeah, the other... The motifs in my dreams, I guess I'll say, are um, trying to run and like getting kind of half traction on the floor, and uh, yeah, other people experience that too. 
Um, and I want to, you know, I want to attribute that to not feeling like I'm making progress or not feeling like I'm, um, or sometimes I can fly and other times I definitely can't. <laughs> and sometimes you try, but you can't. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? Anybody else have? Yeah. Um, I dream a lot, but for some reason I can't remember any of my dreams right now. Because of the marijuana? Yes, probably. Probably because of that. But um, I have a thing that I, I thought it was just me and then I shared with a couple of people and I feel like a lot of people have that. But I don't know if it's people will agree. But most of my memories of childhood are dreams. Mm -hmm. Like 90% of it, like until I'm like five or something. I can only remember dreams. And until today, I mix so much like real life with dreams. Sometimes I have a conversation with someone and the people are like, oh, this never happened. And I was like, I probably dreamed it. Yeah, that's it. And also I get like, uh, because I dream so much, when I, f I know I'm, when I'm in a dream, when I'm like running or trying to do something for so long and I'm like, I can't do it. And I'm like, oh, I'm in a dream. I'm just going to chill. And then I, I get like, ah. You know, like I realize I'm in a dream. I'm gonna stop running after this and just like stay here and like ah, oh, chill. I have nothing to do. You know. I think it's so so uh, nice that our childhood memories and dreams are really hard to distinguish, because like I think as a child also your perception of the world is very different and very fluid. You can say you are maybe more open, or I don't know what. But so in a, in a weird way, it makes sense that, that you don't know what was a dream and what was reality. And also, I think memory, because when you were a child, it's a very far memory. And also, I think memories kind of lose their, their, their rationality. So, so maybe, maybe as we get older, our memories get more dreamlike, I think. And, and actually, it made me think of, uh, do you remember your first dreams? Because it, it's also a nice question of what was the first dream you remember, because I had this memory that... That there was a witch. I was, I think, very young, and probably uh, there was a tale or something I heard. So there was this witch, and it was chasing this bear, this little bear. And I remember I woke up really like worried about the bear, but I was really young. I think I was like four, and it was definitely a dream. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, thank you, Linda. We have one final question, which is our somebody call a doctor question. Um, if in what emergency should somebody call you? Oh, I love this question. If they have uh, a dream that they need to share, and if they have, yeah, basically, if they have a nightmare, what is too scary? Yeah, you'll listen. I will listen. Uh, great, thanks everybody. We'll actually keep this running. So if anybody wants to come up and record a dream in in, in <laughs> private, you can be number seventeen hundred and one for for the database. Um, thank you so much, Linda. Thank you.